On today's episode, we talk about BJ Novak's FX series, The Premise. makes these two episodes so hard to talk about is the fact that they have nothing to do with one another besides the fact that they concentrate on issues that are societal like cultural issues of today but other than that different characters i had different problems with each i this is this is the first show that we've done that i really wish we only did one episode of but because both were released today or not today but this week i felt like we needed to do honor both of them (laughs) The first episode, I did not like. Like, after the 15-minute mark, I went from uneasy to just like, oh, this is bad because of logical flaws in the plot. And then the second episode, I liked for the most part, but I still felt uneasy after the first 15 minutes because of where it was going. So it's such a mixture. It does remind me a little bit of Room 104, um, the series created by uh, Mark Duplass Mark Duplass and the Duplass brothers are twins right, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not twins the Duffer brothers <laughs> right um, but yeah th- these two episodes like we have to talk about them completely separately so ask me about one of them or the other one but like don't try to melt them both okay so with the first episode yeah I, I, I you were talking about the flaws so, so sex it. justice warrior or whatever yeah it's, it's social called... justice sex tape I think is what sex it's justice warrior yeah <laughs> I believe it's supposed to be kind of a satire on Blow Up, the 1966 film about someone who catches a murder when they're taking pictures or something in the background, right? It's, it's that same type oh, of plot? Oh, definitely. For for all our audience members out there who've seen Blow Up, the 1986 1966 film, film. 1966 film. It's a classic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it's a classic for those people who are like 70 years old, maybe. All right. Well, who do you think <laughs> listens to this? Uh, I've seen our demographics. <laughs> okay, and it's probably not a bunch of 70-year-olds, I'm guessing. Anyways, so yeah, you're saying it has slight connections to that? The whole premise of the first episode is that this guy catches uh, a police crime happen in the back of, of his sex tape. So it, like the police uh, unjustly accuse this African-American dude of breaking, I think, the officer's arm. And the the video that comes out months later or i guess two weeks later or something has this guy's sex tape but it was pointed near a window and in the window you could see that the officer fell by himself and that the african-american guy was just standing there innocently so it immediately should clear him off and so the way that that works is that the person who created the sex tape ethan or evan hansen uh he, he sends the tape to a nonprofit lawyer firm place to just kind of like take this guy's case right, and then yeah. to be prove like his here innocence. It is. Yeah, yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. But then they spend the rest of the episode with Ethan on trial, trying to incriminate him in some way. It, it didn't make any sense. I don't understand why they didn't just blur his face, show the tape in the trial, and then say, look, he's clear. Or I don't know why the prosecutor didn't see that tape and then said, okay, we're dropping our Wait, charges. So so they tried to jail the main character because he sent in a tape. No, 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 no. Tape. So the main character of this is, I think, Evie um, or Eve. I'm not sure. She's a lawyer. She receives the sex tape to begin with, and then she sees what's going on in the background, and... Uh, and she goes and tells her boss about it, and she's like, we should take this case. And then she goes and interviews 
the uh, falsely arrested person, I think his name is Darren Williams or mm-hmm. something. And uh, then then they call in the guy who sent in the sex tape and they start giving him the uh, like the full rundown of like, so we're going to be putting you on the stand we're, we're going to need to see the whole right. video. And I was like, okay, fine. You want to see the whole video to make sure that in context it wasn't fake or right, forged. Right. Deep fake or then, anything like that. But then you br- you should bring in an expert, right? To right. just be yeah. like, okay, this isn't deep fake, right? Yeah. That simple. That's all they have to do. But no, they don't. Instead, they bring him on trial. They put him um, as, a, as a witness, which didn't make much sense to me. Well, he, Again, didn't, he didn't even witness it, right? He just has the tape. Yeah, but the tape is his tape, so they want to like question him about how he got the tape. Right, okay, okay. But okay. it's pretty clear. Also, they decide to show the entire video. Um, like They don't zoom in to the part that's needed. Yeah, critics are like, why didn't they just cut out that part Why didn't the they video? cut out that part or blur his face or do something that a normal court case would do? Or, the, again, the prosecuting attorney, attorney should have seen the video and said, okay, we can't, this is proof. Because what the prosecuting attorney then, like, out of nowhere just said it was fake. And it doesn't make sense. Like, if you can't supply a witness to corroborate or, like, an expert witness to say this is a fake video, then that should have been stripping from the record. It felt like a bad dream for Ethan. Like, when you go to school with no clothes on, right? Right, yeah. And it's like, that makes no sense. How could you have gone through your day that way? How could you have gone on the bus? Like, impossible. That's what this played out like. He gets on the stand and then it just gets worse and worse and worse for him. Like first they say, okay, it's fake. We need to see your whole phone records and we need to see everything that you get uh-huh. off to. And, that, and it was like- But that was, wasn't it supposed to be so ridiculous? Did it come across as funny at all? Because I feel like they was no, just- No, I was more be... mad because because it didn't make sense. I mean, yeah, I know that they, they were saying for the first episode, they like it's almost like they didn't want to address any plot holes because then the show would make absolutely no sense. And then also, like, the, the prosecuting attorney said, that girl there, she's too attractive for him. She never would have been a participant in this. So why wouldn't they immediately then call or have the girl girlfriend there stand, yeah. call her to corroborate the thing? They wait until the next, like, recess trial to, begins to call her up there. And then she gives, like, this long, dramatic, like, I shouldn't be with as many uh, white guys as, as I am with because that was a past me and I, I, I should look past racial barriers more. And it was all just to get the Evan Hansen character, Ethan, up on the stand and break and basically say, I'm tired of this wokeness shit. Like, just clear the guy for, of his name and, like, get him off the, out of jail. The, the whole system is broken. And that's what ends up happening. The other thing that's really bad that the um, pro- that the defense does, the people he sent the video into, was they release all his his uh, his sex tape to the world because they wait, think, wait, oh, wait. yeah, they, they leak it out to the press because they want him to break. They, they're like, like okay, they just want to destroy his life? No, they want him to get on the stand and then be like, oh, okay, so... It, it was... It'd be his authentic self, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But they destroy his life. They should go and be charged with something for that. Like, they did a crime in, in there, and then they kind of gloss over it, and then they they also just gloss over the fact that they ruined his life. Um, <laughs> so what's the message? Like, it seems so muddled, like, and it seems just so... The message is very field. clear, and it clearly has the agenda. It was, it was making fun of... Uh, in a way, the liberal culture of white America, where uh, he's wearing a Pod Save America t-shirt, he's talking about all the activists that activism that he does. Uh, you have the person from the Daily show up. Um, I, I wrote down. Oh, his they name. make a cameo. No, he does his voiceover like he's doing a daily no. podcast. Okay, it was really effective. Like that was a smart move, but the show sucked. So I don't understand. <laughs> 
why he would have agreed to be Michael, whatever his face is. And then they also had uh, Desus and Mero uh, show up as well, who are also like people. Uh, yeah. So okay. So it had, listen to, it had so. all those, but, but like yeah, because what what BJ Novak said is that he wants to make a show that a first and foremost is Makes just you entertaining. Well, a, uncomfortable, but entertaining. It was like I don't want to push any type of message, but I also want to put these messages out there and not make people feel a certain way about him just to start a conversation. Did it do that at all? It would have done it so much better had they addressed the plot holes and made it more realistic to how a court system would actually deal with these issues. Had they addressed all the plot holes, though, do you think that... I think it would have been fine because they put a lot of production into it. They cast good people. It just made no sense as far as how they went about this court trial. Why was it the court trial of Ethan? And I felt bad for Ethan's character. I know you were supposed to, but at the same time, you were also supposed to like think, oh, Ethan is a bit of, a bit much. And it's like, so, so what? So is that how it ends? Ethan just gives a big speech about being tired of world culture, and then like that. That's it. Do they they clear the guy? That's yeah. How it is? And then the guy comes out and he doesn't like thank Ethan, and Ethan's like, I thought you told me I was going to be here. Or they do a bunch of like Hamilton references. Right. I, I saw a clip where <laughs> at they one part about where Ethan at one part uh, Ethan was trying to back out because he, he had cold feet at the very beginning. Like maybe he deserves to be in prison, and that made no sense either because it was like you sent in the video and. I don't understand why he wouldn't have asked for his face to just be blurred. He shouldn't have even been in the courtroom, in my opinion. And then, so so the only reason they leaked the footage was to get the jury on their side. So really, just the main thing. I feel like it'll also be this way with the second episode, even though I don't know how the second episode ends. It's it's like this big. You're you're waiting for a monologue to happen, like an effective monologue, because I know that this isn't the only episode to do that. Some episodes that happen later on, because all five were given to critics, do the similar type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then also Darren does make a good point at the end. He's like, is this what it takes? This egregious uh, thing to take, like this crazy video, this uh, like outrageous video, this disgusting video. They keep on making jokes about the fact that his sex right, is bad right, in right, the video yeah. and that no one would want to be with him. They bring in his doctor to like address his scrotal issue and like uh, an e-help person who he talks to online. So literally the therapist. last half of this episode is just supposed to be making fun of Ethan and supposed to be funny but uncomfortable like you were saying. Yes, sort of. <laughs> and then at the very end it's supposed to say we shouldn't need these crazy videos to come out in order to clear people of crimes that they did not commit and what bj novak says at the beginning of this episode does that have anything to do with what happens after like does that have anything to do with maybe the... i don't remember the first thing i thought thought when i saw bj novak was like the guy somehow looks exactly the same but also significantly older in the same like <laughs> package well the weird thing about it is that like all five episodes like i said were given to critics but it didn't have the bj novak part in it so like I feel they put it in well the second episode and we should probably start talking about that has has him also show up and he gets in front of the camera and he just says we should have a moment of silence cut (laughs) and then then they move into (laughs) what i understand they played this very straight there's not a lot of comedy in this one right this actually actually john barenthal like great actor you know how the punisher doesn't have comedy in it right yeah. but it does because he like plays the character and so sometimes yeah sometimes the it can just become so gory and like very dark. no i mean more in in the way he when he picks up a gun and he just like starts to go through it really quick and everybody kind of looks at him weird right like, yeah oh, how good is this guy with guns or why is he so good right. with guns like that's funny i mean a lot of audience <laughs> but let's get were to happy. the plot. okay i gotta okay. talk yeah, go, about go, the go, plot. Go ahead, go ahead. yeah so we have john barenthal And he's in a job interview. He's playing a guy named Chase Milbrandt. And he's basically applying for the NRA. I think they call it the National Gun Lobby. Right, but it's it's the NRA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So he says, I've never had a PR job before, but I want a PR job. And she's like, you're not going to get a PR job here, dude. You don't have any experience. And he's like, I moved here for this. And she's like, so? And then he's like, Google me. And then she Googles him. Next second, he has the job because apparently his daughter died. And this is slowly revealed throughout the episode. His daughter died in a school shooting the year beforehand. So who else would be better to have as your PR rep than a guy who has has experienced direct gun violence and can and shown to still support them right right so he's so he's a good like advocate for your group so we think it becomes very clear very fast that he has an alternative motive for getting this job if you weren't suspect of him immediately for even applying right right and that motive is revealed to be that he wants to shoot up the place so he has the same mentality as the punisher Yes, he is very much like his character from The Punisher, except he is a, he's trying to act it up a little bit. Like, he's doing a really good job being a PR person. Whenever he talks to Trish, and she's like, okay, now explain the argument that we're making. This is the part that reminds me of Newsroom a lot, because they were able to go back and forth with pro and anti-gun, and he was able to play devil's advocate with himself. And, like, I needed to slow it down if I wanted to hit all those arguments. And this is the part I really liked of the show because it was, like, it broke down the arguments really well. And so, so anybody were... anybody who was watching that, it's like watching a West Wing a little bit with a... With, with, and then that wasn't the only back and forth. He meets this character named Aaron who's playing sort of his friend who meets him at work and then is like, hey, you should come out and hang out. Is we that should... Boyd Holbrook? Yes, uh, the villain from Logan. Um, so... He asked him to go play Call to Action, which is just Call of Duty, basically. And so they go hang out at his apartment, and he's just crazy good at that. He shoots guns all the time. Like, John Barenthal's character is clearly motivated to just be a killer, but he never actually, like, kills anyone. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. Throughout the show. So they never, like, arrest him or anything. They get highly suspicious of him the more the show goes on because he also has a... uh, a conversation with Jeff Bridges' brothers, Carrie, Bo Bridges. And Bo Bridges is playing Aaron's father when they go hang out at a party and he starts picking up the guns and stuff and he's just so methodical with the way that he's looking at them. It makes so Bo he has Bridges a lot of like uneasy. disturbing. He's doing a lot of disturbing type of things. In a way, but also, again, he's doing his job right. He's slowly bringing more guns into the office too because he's allowed to. Wow, okay. No, no, but I mean, it's everybody has a gun there. So, so even Aaron's like, so why do you bring all of your guns here? And he's like, well, because I'm allowed to and it's my right and blah, 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 blah. And so all's going according to plan. And Trish shows up and says, hey, it's almost been a year since your daughter died. And we want to do a live stream where you're going to lead the moment of silence. I don't know whose idea that was or why no one had told her about the red flags, but... Apparently, that's where this was going, and he immediately says, yes, I want to do that. So is it like a force or thing? I know that they're hinting at, but is it a force or thing that he wants to shoot uh, shoot up this office? Well, it becomes more and more evident. He goes on a hot air balloon trip with uh, his friend Aaron, his only friend, basically, at this point. And Aaron, at this point, is very suspicious and says, hey, buddy, we can go hang out and maybe take the next couple days off work, especially for this moment of silence thing. Hey, let's just skip that because, you know what? Screw Trish. It doesn't matter. So he's trying to prevent any weird... And you know how John Barenthal comes back to him? Yeah. He's, right, how? He says, I don't think it's a good idea you come into work tomorrow. No. <laughs> Which is probably the scariest thing you could probably hear from someone in that moment. Uh, he also says this thing to Bo Bridges, which I really enjoyed that conversation where Bo Bridges was like, hey, man, there's 
there's places that can help. We came back from Vietnam. People were okay, and then some people weren't. And, um, and it was just a real touchy moment. But then <laughs> Barenthal's response, or Chase's response was, um, were any of those people who died a five-year-old girl or something like that? So just it every was, single time that someone tries to comfort him, he's always coming by with a, back with a chilling line. But right? he does it. His delivery is so good. I, I recommend people watch this if they want to get a good sense of what the show could really be. Um, the plot holes is obviously how how far people let it get. Like, right. Like when Aaron get, hears I feel like thing. he would get fired by this point, even though he stands for so much um, with him being the father. Right, yeah. But I think they still would have let him go. Cut to Aaron's like, all right, we really have to take this time off. And he's like, fine. I'll pick you up tomorrow at 9. He's not going to pick him up. Anymore. Of course, yeah. So, so, so Aaron's <laughs> waiting there at 9. And as soon as nine hits, he's like, oh, no. And he grabs his duffel bag and he goes to work. And there is John Barenthal, Chase, sitting in front of his computer. There's the countdown timer for when the minute of silence is going to be there. So this is very intense at this moment, right? Well, it's tense because everything is not being said, but you can see it in their face. They're kind of, they're sweating. Like there's a giant, it's, you know how he's been bringing guns every day? Yeah. Now he has a full duffel bag. And oh, and, and Aaron yeah. like kicks it a little bit. He's like, so what's in the duffel bag? This he's is like, so different <laughs> from the first episode where it was just about like a sex tape. Yeah, but it was also very engaging seeing that time. And so then Aaron's like, okay, I, this is going to happen. So he goes to every employee like conspicuously, except for Trish apparently, and kind of tell warns them. And then he even calls security up there. Right. And so everybody's on guard as this moment hits. And then it goes live streaming. And John's just sitting there in front of the thing. And this is where it becomes, like, even before then, I was like, it would be too normal. Or not normal, sorry. <laughs> Terrible word choice there. It would be too predictable if they just actually had him, like, start shooting right, yeah. everybody. So... Oh, is he? Okay, I think I might know where this is going, but I won't, I won't say it. So he, he makes the move that he's going for a gun. It's really a picture of his daughter. Everybody in the room just massacres him with bullets, thinking that he's going for a gun. And he dies in front of the entire world who is watching. And he basically does what he wanted, which was he kind of floated this idea past Trish that if there was a shooter who went into the NRA and like, or the, whatever they're called here, yeah, right. uh, the National Gun Lobby or whatever, and like killed a bunch of people there, that that would make a statement and uh and so he had he had kind of put everybody on edge that way but by doing this having everybody kill him an innocent father who had lost his daughter there's no way that 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 the gun lobby is going to be able to put a good light on that with how many bullets went into him at the end and uh i mean aaron kind of he should have turned off the live stream. He just goes over there and he kind of like lets it run. <laughs> like he's oh, yeah, learned his yeah. lesson. <laughs> yeah, like, probably, like he's learned a lesson. That would, that would that'd be cut like immediately. But yeah. Yeah. It was still it was still sad. Is that how it ends? Is like, yeah. Like, and I would give it a solid solid eight. I feel like the story was was good and an eight probably just for how good the characters were. But like I every, just enjoy watching John Barenthal with a gun. <laughs> every single reviewer, even people who hated this show, said the second episode is a good episode. It it's, is. It's like it, like people said that they're all the other four episodes. You know, depending on what you think that about that first it. episode was bad. But guys. the second episode, Don't they said, and and Boyd Holbrook took the role because when he learned John Barenthal was on it, he's like, oh, absolutely, because he was given a, a script by um, B.J. Novak when they were working 
Batman film called Vengeance. And people were like, did John Barenthal get the role because he's so closely related to the Punisher? And BJ Novak was like, no, we just I just gave it to him because I thought he was a good actor. He is a good actor. And, and he also sort of references his Walking Dead persona, too, because he's always carrying a gun like a soldier, like a sheriff. Yeah, well, he, John Barenthal was also talking about how he was glad that um, a lot and, of people... And they, they did it subtly, too. Like, he could have gone full taxi driver and just started acting right, completely yeah. nuts. And then I would have been like, this show is stupid because he would have been fired. But he plays such a good, like, I'm going to play it completely straight here and make it seem like I am completely PR. I, I'm, I'm going to be pro-gun here. And then he goes and he... he to individual people and makes it clear that he's not and so he played he flirts that line so well until the ending like hook and that's what even if it's predictable it's still good so he's the episode's driving force behind it like everything is about him right yeah and i realize now that i'm saying all this it's like yes definitely like 104 there are episodes that are good there are episodes that are bad you can probably judge which one is by like the first five minutes yeah and they have they have a surprising cast i don't give away anyone who's actually in it but someone as you mean of in late, the last four episodes yeah right? yeah i think fourth episode there's someone that as of late that's in it but um it's just show- so weird bj novak was in newsroom so oh, it's he was? funny. I didn't even know. Yes, he was. He was like in the fourth season of Newsroom. So when I see that sort of dialogue happen, I'm like, well, I wonder if he took anything. Well, from he directed. That. He directed the second and third episode, and he wrote all of them. So he directed the second yeah. episode. But it, there, there's been so many like woke social issue shows that have come out, and I know that this one's trying to be different. I can be mad at the first episode just for its plot holes, but it's definitely different. And I know a lot of shows get in trouble for trying to both sides it and like give both opinions. But this one in the first episode, it fails at it. In the second episode, it, it hits it. So. so, yeah, I mean, the show like a couple weeks ago, it had a zero percent Rotten Tomatoes. Then I checked yesterday at 22 percent Rotten Tomatoes. I checked today, it has a 43 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's going so give to give it a couple weeks and then you'll watch it because that by then I'll be in the 80s. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, again, they only have three more episodes to go. It has a 67 percent audience score, though. And although the IMDb- Did critics get all six episodes. Uh, all five, yeah. All five. Yeah, and, and it was really helpful because a lot of the critics like gave a paragraph per episode about what they thought of it. Um, again, number one was the second episode. It has a 7.8 on IMDb for that episode, a 5.6 overall score. Um, I know that RogerEbert.com gave the show a good review, like liking a lot of the acting and kind of the social issues that are being brought up. Blah, um, blah, blah, blah. But there were some <laughs> other places, yeah, like Vulture and AV Club, which weren't as kind to it. So it's like a middle-of-the-road type of show. Mm-hmm. And so FX is just going to continue to check out anthology series. And the risk you run with that, especially for our show, is that when we recommend something, we don't know how well it's going to represent the rest of the show. This falls in the same vein as a lot of TV shows like Solos on Amazon Prime. Uh, a big influence for the show was Black Mirror and The Twilight Zone. Because yeah. Novak said that he was definitely pulling from that. And also, I, I, is this more like Modern Love or Black Mirror? This is not like Modern Love. The stories themselves felt like they were chock full. Like, you know, like a lot of writing went into it. Right. With Modern Love, it had a very thin plot. Like, it was just her trying to sell that car and then talking about how connected she was with the car. Like, that was, they're completely different. One's like an indie film and the other one is like, uh, okay. bam, 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 bam. So, but, so, so it's more, with this show, you get more kind of like almost so many more surreal. Scenes. So oh, many more uh, scenes. More so scenes. Many, yeah. So many more talkative, like, back and forth with people and not longing shots with the ghost. When they asked BJ Novak if he would work with him from the office, he said, yeah, all of them, but I would especially want to try and get either Mindy Kaling or Steve Carell in an episode. Well, Mindy Kaling, it 
has her own shows. She's and he's work. He's directed some of those episodes. But I guess well. he did work with her the most in the office because they had a relationship. He also said he had 150 ideas and he cut them down to f- just these five episodes. So <laughs> he said that like it was really hard to, to kind of pick and choose which one. But I'm guessing as season two comes along, he'll just probably pick from that pool of it all. But do you have anything else to say? Well, his ideas are very political. So it's hard to talk about them and not like his first idea of I think the episode of the first one was it was kind of just white guilt and like how mm-hmm. he was at one side uh, pro the idea of like how white people like to just latch on to the Black Lives Matter movement and play ally. But that's been said before where but then at the same oh, time, so that's probably be mad, be mad at the Black Lives Matter or for everybody for jumping on everybody's tweets and, and going too overboard, trying to when all they're trying to do is help. Well, so, now that you're saying it's if there are in so many Hamilton references, that kind of makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Well, the thing was, yeah, the African-American lawyers were basically egging on Ethan to play the Hamilton role to be the the white savior, <laughs> as he put it. It's just awkward to even say, um, but yeah, the second episode does a better job, I think, uh, keeping an argument about why people are pro-gun. Because I, I just just that one scene between John Barenthal and whoever played Trish, just he did a good job. With yeah, that. this is so she, yeah. this is his second uh, show that he's working on with HBO Max on another dark comedy show. So at this point, he's kind of like isn't sense. Disney keeping him as the Punisher? Like, I think he is also the I, I, have, I have no idea. I'm ta- I was talking about BJ Novak. His, oh, okay. uh, he's making a second show that's similar to this, but it's going to be on HBO Max. Uh, so. okay. <laughs> we'll probably do that, too. All but right. with that, we'll leave it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Sorry if it went a little long. Peace. Bye. Bye.